0: Morning. Good morning. Okay, the scriptures today are Acts 12, 1 through nineteen. Everybody got that? Okay. Now about that time Herod the King laid hands on some of who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he and James, the brother of John, put and he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread when he had seized him. He put him in prison, delivered him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending him out, uh, after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayers for him were being made fervently by the church of God. On that very night when Herod herod was about to bring him forward peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with chains and guarded in front of the door guards in front of the door were watching over the prison and behold an angel suddenly appeared and a light shone in the cell and he struck peter's side and woke him up and said get up quickly and the chains fell off his hands and the angel said to him Girth yourself and put on your sandals and he did so and he said to him Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow it. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he might be seeing a vision. When they had passed through the second garden, they came to the iron gates that led into the city, which opened for them by themselves. And he went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angels and rescued me from the hands of Herod. From all, that have Jewish people works, from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he had realized that, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. When he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. He said to her, you are out of your mind, but she kept insisting that this was so. They kept, they kept saying, "It is his angel." But Peter continued knocking, and when he had opened the door, he saw, they saw him and were amazed. But to, but he motioned to them with his hands to be silent. He described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison. He said, "Report these things to James and brethren, and the brethren." Then he left and went to another place. Now, when the day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers. There was no small disturbance among his soldiers, as what should have happened to Peter, when Harold had searched for him and had not found him. He examined the guards and ordered them to be ordered them away to be executed. What he done? Then they went down to Judea and Caesarea and would have spent time there. Thank you. You may be seated. Meritans' purse does, hey? just amazing um
1: reaching out in so many ways let me open with a word of prayer before we begin and um yeah acts 12 1 through 19 is our is our text for today but let's let's pray again okay let's ask the lord to bless our time in his word Mm -hmm. heavenly father thank you for each one that's in this place young and old father thank you for your word um just truths handed down to us father um unchanged. We thank you for that. Thank you that you are an unchanging God. Help us as we look into your word. Speak to each one of us right where we're at, spiritually, emotionally. Father, just bless us. Uh, keep me from saying anything I should not say. May you be pleased with what is proclaimed in our response to it. Help us to be active listeners, Father. May Christ be glorified in these moments now. And it's in his name we pray. Amen the title of my message this morning is The is the Praying Church. I'm pulling that from these two verses in this text of Scripture that Steve has just read for us. Verse 5, where it says, but the church was praying fervently for Him. And verse 12, when it says, uh, there were many gathered together and were praying. That's the focus of our message this morning, The Praying Church. Um, I'll have a few more words to share about that in a minute. But I, I got to thinking about... Um, uh, various ways I could illustrate the importance of communication. Cindy and I have been married 37 years, and we've gained quite a bit of ground <laughs> with regard to our communication with one another, so I thought I could illustrate something like that. Or um, maybe in business, there's an importance with regard to communication. Um, Rick pours concrete, and if he sends a text saying, I need this many yards of concrete, he doesn't want five extra or five too few. It would be even worse. Uh, there, There is... It, communication is very important, but I thought I would use an example from warfare. I thought I'd have a picture up here, but I don't. Uh, George Washington, you might be familiar with, that picture of him, he's standing on that boat, and those guys are rowing, everyone's rowing, and he's just standing up. Are you familiar with that picture? <laughs> Pretty famous picture, right? That, that is um, for the Battle of Trenton. He leaves uh, the night of Christmas Day. Christmas Day, and the night comes, and at dark, him and his 2,400 men set off to go to Trenton, to uh, defeat the Hessians that are guarding that town. They are mercenary soldiers sided with the British. Well, While George Washington is coming across there, I've often thought about this picture, and I uh, was kind of neat to find out um, just as I researched that a little bit. I thought, did anyone ever see him? 2,400 guys roaring across this river that isn't all that wide, honestly. Someone must have seen him. There's ice out there. They had to break that ice. They had to make some sound. There was. There was someone that saw them. A farmer that was sympathetic to the British saw George Washington and his troops coming across the Delaware. And he sent a note to the commander of those Hessian troops in Trenton. But those Hessian troops had been weary from fighting the militia. There are some reports that maybe they'd been drinking that night because it had been Christmas and they'd been celebrating Christmas Day in that way. And when that commander of the Hessian troops whose last name is Rawl, I think, got that note, he put it in his pocket and never read it. At eight AM he had quite a surprise. George Washington divided his forces into him bleeding in the center up on a hill with some cannons and his other men on the other side, and they defeated these fifteen or sixteen hundred Hessian troops, taking eight or nine hundred of them captive. I just wanted to use that illustration from warfare about the importance of communication because we, as the church, are engaged in warfare. We are. We are engaged in spiritual warfare, even right now, this morning, in this very place. We are engaged in spiritual warfare, and we have a need for good communication. And we have the most wonderful opportunity to be communicating with the one we need to communicate with, and that is God himself through prayer. The church is engaged in spiritual warfare, and her need of good communications is vital. The subject of our message today is prayer, and I realize that is a large topic. I am not going to talk about everything regarding the topic of prayer this morning. Couldn't cover that if I spent four weeks. Wouldn't be able to do it. We're going to, we're going to limit our, our scope here a little bit. But what is prayer? What is it? Short answer, what is prayer? Communication with God. That's prayer. Thanks, Rick. It's communication with the Almighty, Holy God. What a wonderful thought. And the church here is communicating with God. And that same communication that they have with God, we have with God. That should set us back. It sets me back just thinking about it now in that way. It is communication with God. It's a powerful truth. So the point I want to make today is that the praying church, the praying church is blessed to see the victories of God. The praying church is blessed to see the victories of God. Or the church is victorious through prayer. You might say it that way. You know, it's, it's Luke, Dr. Luke, has, who has written this book for us. These 28 chapters, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he's communicating wonderful truths about the early church. And as we've worked our way through this book of Acts, we've seen the advance of the gospel in some really exciting ways. The gospel is just advancing and advancing and advancing. Persecution comes and the gospel advances. There's a bit of rest and ease and the gospel advances. And persecution comes and the gospel advances. The gospel is just advancing. And the gospel is still advancing today. Amen. And this is a historical book in the New Testament. It's a book about f- f- the facts of what took place. It's, it's not a fairy tale. It's not a made-up story. These are facts. It's not the exhaustive details of everything that the church did. But these are facts. And, and we read them and we can tell that they're facts. Just in this account that Steve read for us this morning, you can tell that these are facts being given to us about what has happened. And Luke is very careful to, to talk about the fact, when he writes, he wants, he wants to get things accurate, hey? But all, all of God's word is accurate. But this is the record of these facts regarding the first 33 years of so, thir, first thirty three years or so of the church. From, from chapter 1 to chapter 28 in the book of Acts, that's the first 33 years or so of the church, of the life of the church. And as we come to chapter 12 now, there's been a prominent figure here Of course, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, God, they're the prominent. Our our God is prominent here in in the book of Acts, but Peter really has been the prominent figure, but that's going to change, and it's going to become the Apostle Paul for the last 16 chapters of this book. But But what began with just 120 people has grown to be thousands upon thousands of believers, and they're impacting the world for Christ and for the gospel. In fact, the Thessalonians—when we're not—it'll it be a, f- a couple of months from now, most likely. In Acts seventeen six, when when um, Paul and his guys come to Thessalonica, they say the Thessalonians say these men have turned the world upside down. What a reputation for the church to have, hey? And I, I think the church is is building that reputation right now. Even in Acts chapter twelve, here they're turning the world upside down with the gospel. Or to, or to put it another way, there, someone has said, said it something like this, they've overturned Satan's apple cart. Okay? Satan has an agenda for this world, but the church is overturning his apple cart. God's agenda is separate from Satan's, different than Satan's. And one of the weapons that the church has used with regard to, to affecting the world in this way is this thing called prayer. It's one of the weapons of warfare that we have at our disposal. The same thing the church here had at their disposal. Prayer is one of the greatest realities of biblical Christianity. It it might be the greatest, I think someone else said it this way, it is the greatest privilege of the Christian. Prayer is the greatest privilege of the Christian. Now, I don't know if you could go that far because maybe salvation would be our greatest privilege, but... Prayer, is the, for the Christian, is the greatest privilege, I think, this side of eternity. Communication with God. And so that's what I want us to consider today. Prayer. The topic of prayer. The subject of prayer. In three ways. The privilege of prayer, if you're a note taker. The priority of prayer. And the power of prayer. So let's just begin. I want, to, I want to speak to you today about the wonderful privilege of prayer. And when I say that, I'm saying that prayer is something that we ought to appreciate it is something that we ought to cherish. Sometimes you have to labor in prayer. Things get in the way. Things are roadblocks to prayer. If you ever sat down to pray and thought I'm going to I'm going to pray for this or I'm going to pray for that, distractions can come, right? But but prayer is a wonderful privilege. It's something that we are to cherish. And by privilege, by privilege I mean it's a benefit to be enjoyed by a particular people. That's a uh, A dictionary definition of privilege I think Merriam-Webster's it's a special right or advantage that we have as Christians that other people don't have it is a privilege to be able to pray to almighty God unhindered unless there's unconfessed sin in our life and, and a few other things but we can come boldly before the throne of grace because of Christ's righteousness because we're clothed with Christ's righteousness The psalmist says in Psalm 34, 15, For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are inclined to their prayer. Prayer is our privilege. We don't have righteousness of our own, but we have Christ's righteousness. And this verse tells us, For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are inclined to their prayer. Sometimes, look, I. Be the first to admit. Sometimes I'm praying, and I'm not really recognizing the fact that God, God's ear, from my mouth to God's ear is where that prayer is going. God's ear is inclined to my prayers and to yours as well. What a wonderful truth! What a wonderful privilege we have. Do you know the Apostle Peter? Lord willing, uh, we're going to close in First Peter chapter three. But the Apostle Peter writes the same thing years later after this event that. That's been read for us and we're going to look at in a in a moment here. He writes the same thing, "For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are inclined to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil." It's not everybody's privilege, but it's ours. It's our privilege to come before the Lord in prayer. We have communication with God. That was Peter's experience. When he says that in 1 Peter 3.12, he's acknowledging the fact that what the psalmist writes about, his ears are inclined to their prayer, was Peter saying, this is my experience. This is what I've discovered. God has inclined his ear to my prayers. And it's his privilege as well. Just as that hymn writer says, <laughs> in that hymn we sang, what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. It's an easy it's an easy thing to forget. I think it's something that we need to be reminded of and we need to remind one another of often. Prayer is a wonderful privilege. We have direct communication with Almighty God. The God that created everything. And we are to pray about everything but especially Especially that's true, and we know it to be true, when we run out of options, right? And that's where the church is in, the, in our text today. Let's look at just these first five verses. Now, about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. And that was during the days of unleavened bread. When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church. There's just no substitute for prayer. Someone else has said that. I'm stealing that from someone else, but I love the quote. There's no substitute for prayer. When I, I think I heard someone, and I also read someone, uh, Wrote that, there's no substitute for prayer. It got me to thinking about things we might try to use to substitute prayer. Our own efforts, our own ideas, our own plans, our own motivations. We might try to use them to substitute prayer. There's no substitute for prayer. But what a situation the church finds herself in in these five verses, hey? Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. <coughs> Persecutions flared up again. That peace that they had back in chapter 9, verse 31, we're not going to turn there, has been short-lived. The enemies of the church, the gospel, the enemies of Christ bring their weapons against the church. And their eni- and their, the enemy's weapons are strong, right? The weapons are not fluff and utter. They're not soft. There's violence coming against the church. Uh, it says that Herod laid hands on some to mistreat them. He's harassing them, mistreating them, using violence against them. He murders James. It's intimidation that's coming on the church. The church that hasn't been harassed is is feeling the intimidation of this wicked king. They're feeling that. It's palpable. It's it's not just fluff. They, They sense this intimidation. And Peter's imprisoned as well. These enemies of the gospel, these enemies of Christ, these enemies of Christians have come against the people of God. Herod is a very self-centered man. He's bullying and brutal. He comes after the people of God and the leaders of the church, James and Peter. This is violence against peaceful people. It is violence against peaceful people. The church... As far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. The church exudes that. This first century church does. And the church today does as well. Peaceful people. And there's violence coming upon peaceful people. You know, this same thing happens in our world today. Violence comes on peaceful people. And there's an intimidation factor there. The saints are mistreated and James is murdered and Peter is taken prisoner. It says he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. I think this word sword here is a short sword and not a long one. Some say that James was beheaded. He may not have been beheaded. This sword is used for slaughtering. He may have been had his throat cut. An awful, brutal death. And it was probably fast. It probably came sudden. They probably grabbed hold of him, carted him off, and just murdered him. And, and it says it pleased the Jews. It says Herod arrested Peter because he saw that this pleased the Jews. There is this hatred for Christians. And the church, in the first four and a half verses, the church just seems to be portrayed as, without another way to term it, as weak. Okay? It might seem disadvantaged, not privileged, or in disarray, and powerless. But then this change of tone comes with that one word, but, just like when you're reading Scripture and it says, but God. Here it says in verse 5, the second part of that verse, but prayer for Him was being made fervently by the church. Or the King James, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for Him. The church is communicating with God on behalf of Peter, who's been in prison, because they don't know what's going to happen with him because of this intimidation and the murder of James. So the church finds herself in these difficult circumstances, but what a blessing to know that the church has real communication with an almighty God. What a blessing to know. And the truth of that is the same today. We have real communication with an almighty, powerful God who can change circumstances. Someone has said, Prayer is uttered dependence or spoken dependence. Just a little lightheartedness here. Prayer is uttered dependence. I have to say spoken dependence because I'm thinking of a joke with regard to cows because I'm a dairy farmer. (laughs) There used to be. (laughs) And we'd walk into the barn and say, this is utter madness. But prayer is uttered dependence. It is spoken dependence. It is a dependence on an almighty, powerful God. It presupposes the goodness of God. His person, His power, His providence, and His provision are in our minds when we come before God and we say, God, I can't do anything here. I am powerless to fix this situation. I don't know what to do. I'm coming before You. And I'm bringing this problem before You. And and God moves. If I was to ask for a show of hands, I know many hands would go up this morning. You've come before God in these situations and God moves. And it moves us when God does that, hey? Now the Bible has a lot to say on the subject of prayer. I've already said that there are so many verses in the Bible that speak about it. And then there are many more verses that are actual prayers. That are There are well over 600 prayers in the Bible, and some of them are really long. The Bible has a lot to say about prayer. And, and as you think about that, think about this. Prayer is something we can learn and it's something we can learn to do better. It is something that we can learn and it's something that we can learn to do better. When the disciples come to Jesus, they they, they see Jesus pray. He's praying in the night. He's praying in the morning. He's praying before the Father all the time and the disciples come to Him. They recognize something in His communication with the Father that is so genuine, so close, so personal. They say to Him, Lord, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray prayer is something we can learn. And sometimes we don't know what to pray for as we ought to. Uh, It says that in Romans, I think, 8.26 or 28. We do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us. Sometimes we don't know what we ought to be praying for even, but the Spirit intercedes for us. So not only can we grow in it, on our way to growing in prayer, the Spirit intercedes for us we have this access, this privilege of prayer, this communication with God. And I'm sure if I asked today, someone in this room, can you give a testimony to this truth that you know I really wasn't sure what I was praying for, I couldn't really articulate it as I needed to, but I know the Spirit interceded for me because when God answered the prayer, what was on my heart and in my mind, and I, I just couldn't get it out in words, I recognized that God was at work Prayer is communicating with God, the first century church. The church we're looking at today is in a tough place, and what do they do? It says, but prayer was made fervently by the church to God. The direction is toward God, right? They're not praying. This is not, they're not meditating. You ever be praying? And and I've done this, and I've had to stop myself and realize I'm not even talking to you anymore, God. I'm just talking to myself. <laughs> let me let me get back here. Let me draw myself back here a little bit. This is not meditative or contemplative. This is a conversation between you and God. That's prayer. It's communication between you and God. It's it's not speaking to the situation. They don't speak to the situation. They they don't speak to Herod. They don't speak to the devil. They're speaking to God about the situation. That's what prayer is. And it's our privilege. Prayer is our privilege. It's something that Christians do for each other. Paul writes to the Colossians and he says, "We have, since we heard about your faith, we have not ceased to pray for you. That's just one example. There's examples all over the place in Scripture of Christians praying for one another. And it's something we do for one another. And it's what they're doing for Peter. The church has come together corporately to pray for Peter and for the situation they find themselves in. It's a command to the Christian to pray. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pretty short sentence, Pray without ceasing. Just just be in a constant state of prayer. Be in communication with God throughout your day. You see Nehemiah do that. He's, he's, he, he's before the king, and he, and the king's recognizing there's some difference in his countenance and says, what's the matter with you? And before he even answers, he offers up a prayer to God. He offers up a prayer to God. He's just instant in prayer. Pray without ceasing. It's, it's being instant in prayer. I could do that while I'm standing here preaching this morning. I could stop just in my thoughts even. I don't have to say it out loud. Lord, help me. Lord, help us. Keep us focused here this morning. You can do that as you're, as you're sitting at, right there where you're at, instant in prayer. And it's fitting to ask others to pray for you. How many examples do we have of Paul uh, as he's closing a letter and pray for us? It's fitting to ask others to pray for us. Pray for me. Pray for me. I need it. And it's fitting for you to ask. Pray, pray for me. Pray for us. It's right. It's good. It's fitting. And when we're afflicted, we ought to pray. James says so in James 5.13. If anyone among you is suffering, then he must pray. If anyone among you is suffering, then he must pray. Go to God in prayer. It, it's our privilege to do so. And one more with regard to prayer. Prayers all over the place in the Bible. And this is probably one of this these this section of verses, Revelation chapter 5, just blow me away. Because there are prayers being stored in heaven in golden vials or in golden bowls or golden cups. John has these revelations, you know, that's what the book of Revelation is all about. He's 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 seeing all these things. And um, you get to Revelation chapter five, and he sees a book in the one who is seated in the right hand of the one who is seated on the throne, and it's a book that no one can open. And John is so emotional about the fact that no one can open that book. You get to thinking about that. Why is he? Why is he weeping about that? Because he wants to know what's in that book. And the Lamb comes, who is Jesus, and he takes the book out of the right hand of Him sits on the throne. And it's so tremendous. He he is able to open that book. And because He's able to open that book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, as He comes and takes the book out of the right hand of Him who is seated on the throne, they fall down in worship of Him. They fall down in worship of Him. And it says that as they fall down in worship of Him, they have some things in their hands. In one hand, they're holding a harp. And in the other hand, they're holding bowl, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now, if that doesn't tell you that prayer is your privilege, I don't know what would. The prayers we offer today might be in those bowls of incense, waiting for that moment to be offered up as a fragrant aroma in heaven in that moment. When Jesus is receiving all the praise and glory and honor that is due His name. Sorry for the emotion, I get excited about the thought of that because He does not receive the glory that is due His name in this world and in this life, but one day He will, and when He does, what an excitement that's going to be, right? What a joy that's going to be. But when that happens, our prayers, I think, are going to be part of that incense, that aroma in heaven. Prayer is our privilege. It's not a burden. It's our privilege, and what a wonderful privilege it is. While prayer may be the greatest privilege of the believer, I got a question for myself, and I'd ask it for you too, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because I think we'd all say we fall short. Where is it on our list of priorities? Where is it on our list of priorities? And that's my second point. The important priority of prayer. And there is a priority to prayer because the church has powerful enemies and because we have this access to God and because the church has a loving Heavenly Father that desires to answer our prayers. There's an important priority to prayer because the church has powerful enemies with priorities and aspirations and expectations of their own. The enemies of the church have priorities and aspirations and expectations of their own. And they're contrary to God. So there there needs to be this priority to prayer. And we see that here. Here's here's this man, Herod, who is hungry for power and prestige, seeking to please the Jews. In verse 3, when he saw that it pleased the Jews the worst of motives, hey? Okay? He kills this man James, this peaceful man, this wonderful man, the apostle James. And he sees that it, he sees that it pleases someone else, so he's going to do the same thing to Peter. The worst of motives. And the Jews, they're just filled with hatred for the church and those who belong to it. As Herod is having his way, it must have been very distressing to these Christians. That's why it's so important for these Christians and for us as Christians to have their priorities and for us to have our priorities right. And those two verses point to their priorities. Those verses where it talks about prayer, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church. And when after, as Peter is released, there's the church, and they're still in prayer in verse 12. I believe that these verses are a picture of the church doing battle against the forces of evil, the forces of persecution that have come against her. And I believe they portray the church as victorious in that battle. I believe that this is a model for us today, this priority of prayer. When it says, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for Him, it tells us how they prayed they prayed without ceasing or fervently. To whom they prayed, they prayed to God. It was communication with God. And for whom they prayed, they were praying for Peter. There were many things the church could have devoted themselves to, but where does the church go to? To whom do they turn? They're not seeking out a lawyer for Peter's release. They're not planning to go to war in a world in the worldly sense. They're not protesting in the streets or outside Herod's palace. They're not planning a prison break or petitioning the Sanhedrin. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. And that's where they go. They go boldly before the throne of grace. They do not go and stand before Herod's house. They don't go and find a lawyer. They don't gather up clubs and say, We're going to go break them out of there. They come before the highest court in the land. The highest court ever. They come before a holy God. Herod's just an earthly king, a created being, limited in power. But they make their request known unto God, who is omnipotent, all-powerful. The one who is creator. And again, they didn't speak to the situation. They spoke to God about it. And Just two things. Notice they prayed constantly. Peter's thrown in prison. Some days go by. The church is praying constantly for him. You know, that is a bit convicting for us as the church today. We want to see God move. We want to see the power of God at work. We want to see the victories of God. And the point to my message this morning is just that very thing. The praying church is blessed in seeing the victories of God. They prayed constantly, and they prayed corporately. They're gathered together praying for this one cause. Now, look, this is a plug for a Wednesday night prayer meeting, but I'm not trying to coerce you in there. I'm just letting you know this is what the church did. And what did they see? They saw God move. They came together as a body of believers and said, we are going to come together and we're going to pray for this. And we're going to stay at it. We're going to keep praying. It is a bit convicting. Um, some of you know. Some of you may not. Cindy and I have been on missions trips to Africa, Uganda, Africa, five times. And you go there, and you interact with these Ugandans, and they tell you that they have prayer meetings. I think it's once a month. Cindy will correct me if I'm wrong, probably, or let me know after. It's once a month. It's an all-night-long prayer meeting. All night. And I say, all night? Describe that. I've asked more than once, because I want to make sure I'm getting a real deal. I've asked more than one guy. yes. We have all-night prayer meetings. It goes something like this. I think it's, it's Friday night. They come to the church. They have water but no food. They fast and pray all night until morning. I say, do you stop and sleep? No, we don't stop and sleep. I say, who comes? The whole church comes. That's convicting, isn't it? And then you go on those missions trips and you go, you go show up at a place and you see 200 people come to faith in Christ. You wonder, what's going on here? I think I know what's going on there. The church is praying fervently, corporately, consistently together for the same thing. It's powerful. It's powerful. The church that makes prayer a priority will see the victories of God. What I'm trying to say there is I think in our culture, we're a little bit too individualistic here. We just are a little bit too... I'm not saying we need to become the church in Africa. I'm saying I think we're a little bit too individualistic here. You know, the Old Testament has many stories of victory for the people of God. God's people go, go into battles and they would inquire of God. They would seek His face, His will, His word in the matter... And when they failed to do those things, they would suffer just agonizing defeat. I had one in mind. For sake of time, we're not going to go there. But the constant theme for them and their victories was this very thing, that they, when they sought God's face, when they cried out to God, when they turned back to God, He would hear from heaven and He would rescue them. He would give them the victory. I'm talking about prayer today. I'm saying the praying church is blessed to see the victories of God. And my first point was just what I spoke about a minute ago. Prayer is a privilege. My second point is prayer needs to be a priority. Because we have a loving Heavenly Father. In Matthew 7.11, Jesus says to those that are listening there, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in Heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? What a wonderful truth, hey? Eh? All we have to do is ask. Oh, how many times have you realized, I'm not even asking God about this? I've been there. I, I, I'm thinking about this, and I'm stewing about this, and this is on my heart, and this is on my mind. I haven't even gone before the Lord about this thing. And then i got to examine my Well, why haven't I done that? What's keeping me from doing that? All over the place in the New Testament, believers are exhorted and encouraged to pray. Last point, the undeniable power of prayer. The undeniable power of prayer. It's undeniable. Verse 5. Got to get back into the text here a little bit. But prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. And then the next words on the very night. When Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison, and behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared. The last night, the last night possible for Peter to escape, God shows up, sends an angel, and rescues Peter out of there. I want to talk to you about the undeniable power of prayer in three ways, maybe four. The surrendered power of prayer. Again, the church seems so weak here. There are 16 soldiers, four groups of four, one for each shift, if you will, and two are there with him and two are outside the door. Peter's in a tight spot. But a good place to start praying is when you come to the end of yourself. Peter must have spent some Days and nights in intense prayer. He is here sleeping. We read that. The, the angel's got to come up and strike Peter on the side, right? And and people talk about this, and I've listened to a few messages on this text, and I've heard some in the past, and people say Peter is, just has this contentment. I believe he does as well, but I don't think he had it on the first night. In my own thoughts, I'm just thinking about this. If I'm Peter, there I am. I'm thinking, I oh, might die tomorrow. I'm talking about the undeniable power of prayer and I'm saying that part of that power is God brings us to that place of surrender. Peter's got to get there and the church has got to get there and God allows us to draw out to that point. This last night, Peter finally just surrendered to God. I'm going to sleep, God. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know I can trust you. He lays down, he's in such a deep sleep, the angel's got to come up and whack him one. I've been in that deep of a sleep before after some nights of not sleeping. Just out. The angel's got to come up and strike him, tell him to get out of bed. Cindy's had to kick me out of bed before. He's tired, hey? Eh? He's tired. He's not in a light sleep, he's in a deep sleep. He's in such a deep sleep. As you read this and we've read it, he doesn't even know what's going on. He doesn't know if he's dreaming, if he's seeing a vision. He doesn't even know what's going on. And the church had to come to that place of surrender as well. They're praying fervently, and they're still praying in in, in verse 12. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12.10, For when I am weak, I am strong you know in acts 4 after Peter and John are released from prison and they come and they 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 relay all the things that the enemies of Christ have said to them and the church lifts up their voice in in this corporate prayer it's a beautiful thing we're not going to turn there either but God answers that prayer with an earthquake hey okay? he answers this prayer this fervent prayer for days he answers this prayer with a jailbreak Those things rhyme, so I thought I'd include them. He answers that prayer with an earthquake. He answers this prayer with a jailbreak. And do we see God act in these ways? Do we see Him act in these ways? How fervent are we in prayer? I'm not trying to convict you. I can't convict you. But it is convicting, isn't it? It is convicting. The undeniable power of prayer. One of the undeniable powers of prayer is this idea of the surrendered power of prayer. And then there's the surpassing power of prayer. All the efforts and expectations of these enemies are no match for God. Corrie Ten Boom, you might be familiar with her, helped rescue Jews in World War II when things were very difficult. She's quoted as saying this, there is no panic in heaven. There is no panic in heaven. God has no problems, only plans a wonderful statement hey there is no and you see that there's no panic in heaven look what it says in verse 8 and the angel said to him gird yourself and put on your sandals and he did so and he said to him wrap your cloak around you and follow me the angel's not in a hurry get up peter we gotta get out of here Fum. take your time there's no panic here we're gonna walk out this door These guards are just going to stay sleeping. They're not even going to... I don't know what happens with these guards, but they don't stop them. They walk right out the gate. There's no panic in heaven. God has no problems, only plans. I've heard testimony of a guy that was taking Bibles, and someone here might be familiar with this. He's trying to get Bibles into one of the former Soviet Union's countries or maybe into the Soviet Union. He's got a station wagon loaded with Bibles, and he's wondering, what am I going to do? I'm going to get to that guard shack, and they're going to see these Bibles. Bibles aren't allowed in here. I'm going to be in trouble. He starts praying. They don't even, nothing. He drives right through the gate. He drives right through. I don't remember all the details, but I remember being struck by that. God just provided there. Now, I'm talking about the surpassing power of God, not because our prayer has power, but because the power of prayer is the power of God who hears and answers prayer, right? That's why I say the praying church is blessed to see the victories of God. Prayer is something that God uses as a tool to unleash His power. I hope that's a correct way of saying that. I hope you understand what I'm saying there. Our prayer doesn't have the power. It's God who has the power. And God lets that power loose as we pray. That's what we see here. The church is praying, God sends an angel. And prayer transforms us. Even unanswered prayer, which sometimes is just a no. You're praying, you're praying, you're praying, and you get a no. It's transformative. It has that kind of power. Or or not yet. Or yes, prayer transforms us. The surpassing power of prayer. God uses prayer to get our will in line with His. As we pray and we pray and we pray and our prayers become more in line with what God is doing, God uses that to, to transform us into the image of His Son and to get our will more in line with His. To get our will in line with His. That, that's why I say the praying church is blessed to see the victories of God. The church that prays together is blessed to see the victories of God. We could go on about this surpassing power of prayer, but just one verse: Ephesians three twenty. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think, to him be glory in the church. It goes on to say a few more words. Um, So I want to talk about the last point here is the surprising power of prayer. The surprising power of prayer. It's obvious Peter is surprised. Uh, Verse 10, When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself. That would be surprising all by itself. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed. When Peter came to himself, now this is the surprising power of prayer. He said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod, and from all the Jewish people we're expecting. Now, we don't, I, I can't relay a story like this, but this is what's happened to Peter. But we have things that are kind of similar. God's at work, and He's at work in such a way we can't quite see what He's doing. And then when we finally see it, we're like, wow. God, I thought you were going to do this, but you did this. Man, God, you are awesome. You are powerful. You are wonderful. I couldn't have seen this from where I was. You had to bring me through all this and all this agonizing in prayer and now I see what you're doing. Now I have a better picture of how you're moving. That's what happens to Peter here. In verse 12, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. They're still there praying for him. This is a prayer meeting that's lasting a few days, hey? So Peter is surprised. Rhoda is surprised. The girl that comes and answers the door. Surprised and overcome by joy. When he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. Can you imagine Peter's thinking? He's not, Hey, it's me. I'm I'm, I'm home. Open the door. You know, he's, Just got out of prison. Someone open up in there. It's like that, probably, right? And I I think I think as we continue to read, you see that to be the case because in verse seventeen it says, "But motioning to them with his hand, be silent. Shh. Don't get so excited. Don't cause a ruckus. I don't want to end up back where I was." So Rhoda is surprised. The disciples who are praying are so surprised they don't believe Rhoda. They don't believe her testimony. Verse 15, they said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. They kept saying, it is his angel. I don't know what what they were thinking with regard to that. I don't know how to explain that. It is his angel. I don't know what they're saying with that. But it's not the important thing. They don't understand that it's true that God has answered their prayer. They're just surprised by the fact. They've been praying for this very thing. And when God answers, they don't even believe it themselves. Doesn't God work in that way sometimes? God answers can't even believe it myself i remember being in a situation i'll give the details out i was thinking well god if if that then that and i don't know how i'll deal with that and i'm praying about this and then when the time came i thought oh wow god that's you that's awesome i got such a peace now god works in those ways he just surprises us in wonderful ways the praying church is blessed to see the victories of god And they don't believe her testimony. I thought I had a thought with regard to that, but we're not going to go there. But Herod and the soldiers are surprised as well. Uh, um, Peter fills them in on all the details there. And then in verse eighteen it says, "Now when day came, when day came rather, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. When Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards in order that they be led away to execution." Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending some time there. So Peter gets away for a while. But with regard to this, even the enemies of God are surprised. I thought we'd go to another text of Scripture, but we're not. This has been a longer message than I was expecting. I watched the clock go we'll zooming by. I just want to close with that same thought I began with. The praying church will see the victories of God and encourage you to read 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, verse 12 and the verses just before that and the verses just after that this afternoon and just see I think Peter's thinking back to this time and he's he's just recognizing God hears and answers prayer let me close with prayer okay Heavenly Father thank you for your word thank you for your people Father I pray that you would help us to grow in prayer Father I feel myself raising on even now as I'm speaking with you forgive me for that as we tend to do that. Lord, You are a good Father. Your ear is inclined toward us, not because of our own righteousness, but because of Christ's righteousness on our account. And we praise Your name for that. Thank You that You hear and answer prayer, even today, in Your church. Help us to grow in prayer, Lord, in this place that we might see Your victories. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.